Pop Culture Affidavit presents 80 Years of DC Comics, Episode 15. Christmas! Greeting cards have all been sent. The Christmas rushes through. But I still have one wish to make. A special one for you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. You're putting a Christmas episode out in January and you expect people to just accept that? I don't think so. Well, you see, Stella, between grad school and work, the end of the semester, grades being due, I just, I didn't get a chance to edit and... Why did I even come on this show? If you're going to delay it an entire month and put a Christmas episode, which belongs near Christmas, in January, which has an entirely new holiday altogether. Thanks, Tom. Alright. Fine. Wake up, the house is on fire, and the gets got in the dryer. Philosophy's a liar when your own is your redstone. Icon is a last chance for hope when there's no such thing as heroes. Your faith lies in the ditch and you dug yourself in. Let's get some in all of Hello and welcome to the special series, 80 Years of DC Comics, presented by Pop Culture Affidavit, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. The purpose of this podcast is to highlight genres that are not the typical superhero genres published throughout DC Comics' 80-year history, as well as stories that don't make your typical top 10 list. This episode is going to be all about comics that cover holiday spirit. I have a couple of guest stars lined up, and about four comics or so to review. The first comic coming up, right after this break, will be a treasury-sized Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer comic. So, stick around. Calabac, Tassad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? 
Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. Well, folks, as for the rest of the story, he went down in his story. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him, as they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you go down in history. And we're back. I'm, I couldn't do a DC Comics Christmas episode without covering DC Comics' most famous Christmas character and the character who got the most treasury editions than any other character, from what I understand, and that is... Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Rudolph had a series back in the 1950s into the early 1960s, and throughout the 1970s had a number of treasury editions. And I happen to cop- track down a very beat-up, drawn-in, what-have-you copy of Limited's, Limited Collectors Edition C33, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It, has, uh, it was published in on November 7, 1974. It was a dollar comic with an 80-page count. It was oversized. The cover date was February, March 1975. Uh, this, this information, of course, is coming from Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. And it was a reprint. The story that, that I'm going to cover is called, uh, I think it was like Dodie Goes Missing or something like that. And... It is reprinted from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer number 9 from 1958. The artist was Rube Grossman, but no writer uh, was credited. And uh, I sat down with Brett, and we read it, and he had some comments, and I had some comments, and that's what you're going to hear. So here's me and Brett reading Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from a DC Treasury comic. I don't know where the hand puppets are. You want me to find them? Yeah. Did you cut them out already? No, I don't know where I got. I don't know. Well, it looks like here's one. Oh yeah, there they are. It says cut on the dotted line. Maybe the other one got torn out. Yeah, I think the other page might have gotten yeah, torn out. Yeah, because it looks like there's a. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like whoever had this before I did tore it out because they also tore out a page somewhere here. Oh yeah, see, there's a page that's ripped here. And maybe they, they had a little brother that ripped it up. Yeah, somebody colored a page somewhere here. You know, I don't know where they colored. They colored somewhere here. Well, maybe it was on the oh there. There it is. Yeah, with blue magic marker. I didn't know magic marker appeared on that 
What do you mean? They just took a marker and put it there. Oh, you said it was magic marker. Well, that's what we used to call it. Magic markers. But you don't call it, you just call them marker? No, I meant the actual magic markers. Like the brand. No. Oh, you mean like the Crayola ones you have? Yeah, the Crayola. No, that's those are different. Those are, these are... Oh, the magic markers. Yeah, the, <coughs> the somebody colored a crayon here, I guess. Okay. So the, they call they used to call these treasury editions because it's so big. So there's two stories. There's maybe we'll do the second one because there's a page torn out of the first story. So it's called Cousin Doty Gets Lost. In the middle of it, there's look at that. Ah, oh, nice. Yes, it's, somebody colored over it partially too. Who's that? I don't know. They, it's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and a bunch of different characters. Let's see what his... Maybe he's an elf? Maybe he's a kid that gets a toy? Yeah, well, there's a bear. Aww. Named Batty Bear. Batty Bear? Yeah, there's a gopher named... I don't know what this gopher is named, but it seems like the gopher is a big deal in this story. Um... Maybe he's cousin. Maybe he's the cousin. I don't know. Let me see. No, the cousin's another reindeer. What? Who's his cousin? Grover the Gopher. Oh, and then Doty, his cousin, and maybe that's like a like a big guy who's like working in the workshop. Let's see if we can find the name of that character. And he can't be Santa. No, that's not Santa because Santa's in the other thing. He's. His nose is like a flashlight. Yeah, his nose is like a flashlight. I don't know who that is. Mm. Maybe there are other Rudolph comics where he's in it. Now remember, Rudolph, your little cousin Dodie is coming to visit us for the holidays. I want you to be very nice to him. Golly, Mom, why does he have to come now? You know how busy I am with Santa Claus. <laughs> Art by Rube Grossman. Never mind, I'm sure you can find a little time for your cousin. It'll be little, all right. Boy, oh boy, what a light. All I needed was my cousin Dodie. The last time he was here, there was nothing but trouble. Oh, Rudolph, you got a visitor. That's Santa Claus. Yes, and I suppose he has little cousin Dodie with him. Oh, dear Santa, what happened? Oh, 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 this little feller got into the workshop by accident and spilled a few cans of paints. That's my cousin Dodie. Hi, everybody. Say your hellos for later. Now, get along, little, little Dodie. You have a date with a scrub tub. It'll be a good idea, Rudolph, if you keep an eye on your cousin while he's here. Keep him out of mischief. But Santa, you know how busy I am. That's all right. I'm sure we can spare you. You can? Well, guess I'll be going now. I'm very busy. Have fun, Rudolph. A fine thing. I, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, become a babysitter. Oh, Rudolph, bring for towels and dear, bring some towels for dear cousin Dodie. Well, at least I recognize how you, now that I've got all that nasty paint removed, doesn't he look handsome? Where was the, did he look like he had paint all over him when he came in? No. No, they didn't look like, I thought, like, if he spilled paint all over him, he doesn't look like he spilled paint all over him. Well, there's, like, some 
drops. Maybe it was brown paint. Oh, I don't know. He looks the same to me. Very. Moments later. Well, he looks darker. Oh, okay. Play with your little cousin while I get ready. While I get dinner ready. Must I? Yes, you must. Dodie didn't come all the way out here to be left alone. Okay. Come on, Dodie. Oh boy, at last. At last, what? At last, I'm going to play with the most important reindeer in the whole wide world. My cousin, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. The Great. I wouldn't say all that. I may be a great help to Santa Claus, but I don't think I'm the most important reindeer in the world. Of course you are. I sure heard a lot of stories about how you helped Santa when he was in trouble. Oh, it was nothing. Nothing. Please, Cousin Rudolph, I'd rather hear about some of the things you did for Santa than play. Well, if you really want me to tell you, one hour later. And then there was the time the snow and ice and hail was so thick, you couldn't see your nose in front of your face. That is all but me. It's a lucky thing Santa had me along. I not only lit the way, but also melted the snow and ice for yards in front of us, all with my famous red nose. Gosh, it's time for dinner, boys. And then there was the time, huh? Little Dodie will, will share your bedroom, Rudolph, and I do hope boys will get along well together. Don't worry, Auntie. Anyone can get along with Rudolph. He's great. He's a cute kid, Mom, isn't he? That he is, Rudolph. But don't let it go to your head, if you know what I mean. My head? Of course not. Just because little Dodie thinks I'm great doesn't mean I have to get a swelled head. You know how these things are. They're always looking for... These kids are. They're always looking for a hero. I'm not looking, Cousin Rudolph. I've found one. You're my hero. And so, okay, boys, the bed is made. Now go right to sleep. Pleasant dreams. Good night, Mom. Good aunt night, Auntie. Why, if it's Rudolph's room, does he have two beds? I don't know. Okay. And they have candles. <laughs> All right, Dodie. Good night, Dodie. I don't think Rudolph should have a candle. No, probably not. But he's using a candle snuffer to put one out. Grandma has those. <laughs> Golly, do we have time to do? We have to go to sleep yet. Tell me some of your thrilling, more of your thrilling adventures. Not now, Dodie. Perhaps tomorrow. Now put out your light. But cousin Rudolph, I want the light. Okay, have the light, but stop talking. Go to sleep. Oh boy, now's my chance. I'm Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. What's going on? I'm you, Rudolph. Oops. Oh, what's he doing? He was like. He had. He was balancing it on his nose. Oh, because he's trying to pretend he's Rudolph. Oh, and he fell, and Rudolph caught it, so it's not starting a fire, right? Heavens to Betsy, what's going on here? I fell, Auntie. I'm surprised at you, Rudolph, playing games at this time of night. But, but, the next morning. Introduce your cousin Dodie to all the other reindeer, Rudolph. Uh, yes, Mom. Golly, cousin Rudolph, I'm sorry about what happened last night, but I was only trying to imitate you. You're so great. Uh, that's all right. You're probably too busy to go around with me. You can go to Santa. I won't mind. Well, Santa Claus does need me. <clears throat> Suppose you get along, little Dodie. I'll look for you later. Hi, fellers. I'm Rudolph's cousin Dodie. Hi. Cute little fellow, isn't he? Are you going to grow up to be like your cousin Rudolph? Sure am. He's the greatest Santa Claus can't do without him. Uh-oh. My cousin Rudolph is better than any reindeer. Santa Claus can get rid of them all when Rudolph is around. He told me how important he was. Oh, did he? Oh, he did, did he? Hmm, looks like Rudolph's head is getting bigger than his nose. Maybe we better do something about it. Er, Santa, I was wondering if you could use me for something? I might find something for you a little later. Right now, I'm busy. Hello, fellows. Hello yourself, big mouth. 
You better watch out, Rudolph. Your head is getting so big that your nose will disappear. What's going on? Rudolph has been bragging. He says none of us are important and that without you, without him, you wouldn't be able to deliver any toys. Ahem. I said that. You said that and a lot more, Rudolph. Isn't that right, Cousin Doty? Hi, Cousin Rudolph. Doty. All right, fellas, break it up. I'm busy. Christmas depends on teamwork, not one reindeer. Percy, you're causing confusion and delay. After about that help you wanted to give me, Rudolph, don't call me, I'll call you. Golly gee, it looks like I'm in trouble again. Honest, I didn't mean to. I was just carried away by your greatness. Carry yourself home, away home, Cousin Doty. I want to be a bone, Sniff. Oh, he's upset. Well, Rudolph, did you show Cousin Doty around? I hope you didn't tire him. I'm the one that's tired, Mom. I'm surprised, Rudolph, letting a little deer like Doty tire you. By the way, where is he? He isn't here? Oh, dear, no. Wasn't he with you? For a little while, Mom, but I sent him home. You go right out and find him. I just hope he didn't get lost. Don't worry, Mom. I'll find him. Look, fellas, never mind what you think about me, but what did, did you see my cousin Doty? We saw him, all right, and you don't have to. You didn't have to be so hard on him just because he told you, you tales out of school. He told tales out of school. I don't know what that means. That's right. He told us he was going to his own home where he wouldn't be any more trouble to you. His own home? Gosh, he'll get lost for sure. He can't get there on his foot. It's on the other side of Mother Gooseland. I didn't know there was a Mother Goose Land. Is that... Maybe that's like Fantasyland and Adventureland. I better get to Santa Claus fast. He has to help me. Oh, Rudolph, I was... Oh, Rudolph, I was just coming over here to see you. Your cousin was here a few hours ago and explained everything. I'm sorry I misjudged you. Uh, thanks, Santa. Right now I need your help. What is... What is it? Just name it. My, I think my cousin Doty ran away and he's sure to get lost. Ran away, lost, great heavens, let's get the helic. Why do they need a helicopter? <laughs> Why does Santa have a helicopter? I know! <laughs> Why does Santa have a helicopter? He can't be too far off, we'll find him. Oh, I sure hope so. <laughs> it's probably... Look, Santa... He has a... And the propellers are just leaning up against the wall. Mm. Winky, blinky, get the helicopter ready. Yes, sir, one helicopter coming up. We've got, we hope we've got time, Santa. We'll have it ready in a, oop. Well, I guess they're not using the helicopter because those two elves took it apart and they clonked into each other. A fine time they picked to take apart the helicopter. We'll have to take the sleigh, hurry. Is this really that much of an emergency? Calling all reindeer, calling all the reindeer. We're taking off in the sleigh. Come on, did you hear what I said? It make, I guess they're still mad at me. We're, you're not, we're not mad at you, Rudolph. What is this then, a mutiny? Don't you remember, Santa? You're having the sleigh painted for our Christmas trip. Oh, and, and, and whoever used to own this painted the sleigh blue, sort of. They didn't stay inside the lines, did they? No. Uh-oh, now what? Gulp. Golly. I'll f have to find duty or I'll never forgive myself. Can't Rudolph fly? Oh. I don't know. I know, I'll go by rocket. Rocket? Wait, Rudolph, you can't do that. The only rockets around here are toy ones. It won't be safe to travel. I'll have to take my chances. Nothing is going to stop me. I've made up my mind. I won't let you do it. But Santa, I just have to. I'm sorry, Rudolph. Perhaps Dodie will come back. If not, we'll search for him on foot. Look at all the rockets. 
Why do they have that many? There shouldn't like be toys. No, aren't they like for, this is like a 4th of July firework. Like, remember the stand they set up at the side of the road yeah. on 4th of July? Yeah. Where they sell fireworks? That's like what it looks like. Are you, are you sure this is okay with Santa? Uh, that's not what's worrying me. All of a sudden, I can't even decide if it's okay with whether it's okay with me. Gulp. In case you change your mind, Rudolph, it's too late. That's right. We're blasting off. Counting down. Five, four, three, whoosh, two, one. Hey, wait! I didn't say zero yet. And let's see. Oh wow! Yikes! How do I get off this thing? Never mind that. Yeah, I don't know why he just can't fly himself. Because they flew to like where was it? The the Christmas Island of Misfit Toys in that yeah. this TV show. How do I get out of it? Roller coaster used to make me dizzy. If I could just find a place to land. Land? Wow, how do you land in one of these things? Uh-oh, looks like I'm about to get my answer. Now I know. Splash, splash. Mother Goose Land. Wow, I've made it. My little cousin Dodie couldn't have gotten further than this. Now if my head will stop spinning, I'll start looking for him. He's like in Fairy Tale Village. That looks like Simple Simon. Maybe he saw Dodie. A uh, big pardon... Simple Simon, did you see a little deer pass this way? A little deer? Oh dear. What's the matter? Did I say something wrong? You sure did. Now for goodness sake, shh. Better not let anybody looking here you're looking for deer. They're, they're out of season. Fishing is allowed right now. Fishing? Tell me you're fishing in a pail? Don't tell me you're fishing in a pail. What do you expect to catch? Ha ha, everybody thinks I'm stupid enough to, to expect to catch a whale. But I'm smarter than I look. Yeah, are you are? Yep. I know I can't catch a whale in a pail. It's because I'm not using any bait. I should have known better than to ask Simple Simon about anything. Maybe the old lady who lives in a shoe will be able to help me. Pardon me, did you see a little deer pass this way? Goodness, no. I have too many little deers to worry about now. Oof, I see what she means. Oh dear, at this rate I'll be lucky to get back to Santa myself. Do you happen to see a little deer pass this way? Come to think of it, I did. I did. Oh great, which way did it go? Tiss, tiss, time flies so quickly. Don't go away, I'll be right back. You must be Hickory Dickory Dock, the mouse that runs up the clock. Puff, that reminds me, I gotta get there before it strikes one, so pardon my haste. You'd be better, you better go now. I won't be able to help after all. Something's wrong with the clock, it didn't strike one. And when that happens, a mouse's work is never done. Mother Gooseland, indeed. What silly creatures. Halt in the name of the king. Gulp. There's some mistake. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm just here looking for my cousin. Dodie dear. The king decides what's right and wrong. Okay, speak up. What did them... What did you do with them? Them? Them who? My bowl and my pipe and my fiddlers three, of course. I'll never be a merry old soul without them. But, but your majesty, old King Cole, I haven't seen them. I'm looking for my little cousin Dodie dear. Did you say Dodie dear? Yes, your highness. My guards brought him an hour ago. You'll find him resting in the palace tower. Oh boy. Uh-oh, looks like I'm going to find the bowl and the pipe and the fiddlers three too. Oh, uh, there they all are. Dodie, I've been looking all over you. You had us worried. Do you have pillows strapped to his chest? <laughs> yes. Why? I don't know. We'll find out. Golly, Rudolph, I didn't want to worry anybody. It's just that I didn't want to mess up things for you anymore, so I decided to leave. Well, you decided wrong, Dodie. Everybody's entitled to a couple of mistakes, and if you ask me, you're making one right now. Old King Cole's on a rampage looking for his bowl, his pipe, and his fiddler's three. Gulp. Moments later, ho, 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 I'm not going to be cross with you, Dodie. Changing this into a bubble pipe is more fun than I've had in a long time. 
because bubble pipes are silly. Maybe he was trying to pretend to be old King Cole, so he slapped pillows to his chest. <laughs> so he looked fat. Thanks, Your Majesty. Come on, Dodie. We have to be going. Just a minute, you two. You'll never get back in time for Christmas. You might as well stay here. But, Your Highness, I'm Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Santa Claus needs me, I hope. I'll lend you my horses, but whoever heard of reindeer riding horses? I got it. Go see Princess Cinderella. She might be able to help you. Golly, thanks, Your Majesty. We'll do that. Oh, wow. Cinderella. So, there's Princess Cinderella. I, I, I sure hope she can help us. Me too, Rudolph. I'm sorry I caused you all this trouble. Well, if it isn't Rudolph or the Red-Nosed Reindeer, what are you doing here so close to Christmas? I'm trying to get back to Santa Claus in time, and Old King Cole said he might be able to help us. Oh dear, the prince is out using the pumpkin coach right now. Besides, I don't think he could get you there quickly enough. I might as well face it. This is one time my nose is not going anywhere. Sob, and it's all my fault. Get your pumpkins. Pumpkins, save that. Maybe that's the answer. Special answer? pumpkins for sale. Buy, buy from Honest Peter. Peter, Peter Pumpkin Eater. Oh. Ah. <laughs> Don't you see if we can get your fairy godmother to change one of those pumpkins into something faster than a coach? We'll make it. That sounds like a wonderful idea. I hope she's around. Did I hear someone mention my name? Oh, yes, dear fairy godmother, you come in the nick of time. Or it wouldn't be asking too much. Could you chain one of Peter Peter pumpkin eaters into something that travels fast enough to get us back to Santa Claus in time for Christmas. That's a mighty tall order on such a short notice. I'm not very experienced when it comes to faster transportation. What do you have in mind? Well, a jet plane or a rocket ship would be swell. Oh boy, a rocket ship. I do hope that when I, I know what I'm doing, well, here goes. Pop. Wow. Now do be careful, Rudolph. Don't worry. I will. I'll take care of you, Rudolph. Whoosh. Everyone can stop worrying now. Oh, everybody at Santa's workshop was worried about them. Uh, did they go out to find them? I don't know. No. It doesn't look like they did, did they? No, but... So they were worried, but they didn't go out to find them. Well, um, Rudolph's not a full deer yet. Mm -hmm. He's not a full-grown deer. Uh-huh. Because he doesn't have his full-grown antlers, so oh, okay. that's probably why he can't fly. Oh, okay, maybe. Everyone can stop worrying now. There's Rudolph, and he says Dodie with him. Hurrah, hurrah. Three cheers for Rudolph. Ray Rudolph. All right. Moments later. Oh, oh, oh. Looks like we're leaving right on time. Thanks to Rudolph. Hop in, Dodie. You're coming with us where you can stay out of mischief. Behave yourself, Dodie. Remember, Santa Claus is keeping an eye on you while I keep my nose oh, busy wow. lighting the way. What? Rudolph is riding in the sleigh. Yeah. Instead of flying it. Mm -hmm. And what's and what are Santa and Rudolph saying? Merry Christmas to all and to all good night. Oh look, Dodie's asleep in the sleigh. You must have gotten all excited and got tired out, and hopefully you'll be tired out on Christmas Eve. Hey. And now a visit to Funland. That's a maze. No, I guess you have to start here, and the maze gets you to... Bonlet! Oh, that's pretty easy. Look. Oh, that's kind of hard. But, look. It's kind of an illusion. Mm-hmm. It's an optical illusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just gotta keep doing that. Yeah, okay, yeah. And then play Christmas bulbs. 
Christmas Bulbs is a game for two or more players. Each player, in turn, drops a toothpick. From a foot above, a point is acquired for each Christmas bulb with the toothpick touches. The first player to reach 25 points is the winner. So you're dropping toothpicks onto a comic book paper and seeing if you can hit the bulbs. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. And there's the Santa puppet. <laughs> it looks so different than mm. actual Santa Claus. Yeah. Really. Oh, Daddy, there's like Rudolph's message. Mm hmm. But if you want to do the, and there, I guess there was a Rudolph puppet. Yeah, there was a seed. Here's the line for the Rudolph puppet. I yeah. guess it's Rudolph, right? Yeah. But and there might have been another game here. And but notice that if you cut the Santa out, you can't play the really exciting Christmas bulbs game. I know. Oh. So. Let's <laughs> you can solve Rudolph's message. And like, so the kids, ah. so. That kid's like, I could, I like the Santa puppet. Time to play the Christmas. Oh no, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's gone. Oh, a tabletop diorama. You know what a diorama is? No. There was a, back when I was in, when I was in third grade, I used to have to do dioramas for class and we would take a shoebox and put it on its side and then put like things in it for display. So what you do here is you cut this out. It says cut out the frame and the tab background. Okay. And cut the six slots in the frame. Oh, that's the frame. And you cut these. You curve the background and you insert the tabs and it looks like that. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. You ruin your comic. And you ruin your comedy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you well, think? That was funny. Okay. The you, games are funny. You right. ruin your comedy. Yeah. All right. You want to go get some water? Yeah. And can we get a snack? All right. And that'll be Brett's last appearance on the DC uh, show. I'm just glad he was so cooperative in recording those with me. Um, next up, after this quick break, I am going to take a look at a classic golden age batman comic and coming along with me is someone who you've heard before at least a couple of times in this series and and other other podcasts they do and that'll be stella so stick around for that 30 years ago i walked into a comic store and i picked up gi joe and the transformers number one a month later I came back. They say every journey has a first step. Every story has a beginning. This is mine. I may have begun my comics collecting career in earnest in 1990, but from the fall of 1986 until the fall of 1987, I was a regular at my LCS. So in honor of 30 years of collecting comics, I'll be recapping and reviewing all of them on the days they originally came out. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Origin Story, 
a podcast miniseries starting this September at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. So, if you can't tell by the background noise, and I really hope this is picking it up, and I'm gonna, you know Christmas? what I'm gonna do? Yeah, Christmas maybe? Um, I can't tell if their playlist is Christmas or not. It's like hipster it Christmas. Yeah. Maybe they've gotten sick of it already. Yeah, maybe. No. Shoot, where's my recorder? There it is. Alright, so we're double recording. I have a cell phone, I have an MP3 recorder. We're good. We're at Starbucks. And just like the last time I did this, I have Stella here with me. Hello. And no shag this time. No, no shag this time. Good riddance. Yeah. We really need shag here. I, I don't think we do. Um, we are looking at one story from Batman number 15. It is called The Loneliest Man in the World. Mm -hmm. It came out, um, it is cover dated February, March 1943. And this this uh, information, by the way, because Stella so is just so opposed to the idea of Mike's Amazing World of I Comics. I distrust it. I just don't want any dealings with someone I believe could be Brainiac. Now, Stella has her copy of the comic on her. Is that a Kindle or it not? It is a Kindle. It's a Kindle. Okay, she's got the Kindle from Comixology. I have checked out Batman Chronicles Volume 8 from my school library. Um, so I'm getting this information out of the table of contents from Batman Chronicles. Uh, it was cover dated February, March 1943. The writer... According to the credits is Don Cameron. The penciler is Bob Kane, who is the creator or co-creator, depending on your preference. I'm sure that Mike and everyone else is yelling at me right now. Uh, of Batman. And the inker is Jerry Robinson. So Don Cameron I'm not that familiar with in terms of Batman history, but Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson are two very, very familiar names to anyone who's... Yeah. Done enough of this, so yeah. all right. So I'll, I'll handle this under. Okay. Merry Christmas to lovers of high adventure everywhere, Batman and Robin. <laughs> so when the mighty <laughs> when the mighty champions of justice sweep across a winter's night, a vengeful underworld captain seizes the opportunity to strike treacherously at his most hated enemies. Tears and laughter, thrills and hairbreadth escapes, romance and peril, all these blend into an amazing Christmas Eve when Batman and Robin meet the loneliest man in the world. So it was twas the night before Christmas and all through the town, everyone was happy, too happy to frown. Well, almost everybody. Which is what Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson realize when they see a poor kid standing on a street corner. They stop and give him some gifts and money to buy his mom Christmas dinner and lots of presents. Then they head to Wayne Manor where putting presents under the tree, Dick writes Eleanor Rigby about 20 years too early. Oh dear. Because he wonders about all the lonely people and where do they all belong. 
to be honest, it's actually better than asking, do they know it's Christmas after all? So we'll just we'll just give it that. Bruce has the brilliant idea that Batman and Robin should play Santa to all the lonely people in Gotham City. So they equip the Batman, the Batplane with rails, making it into the Bat Sleigh, and they take off into the December night. Before going to deliver presents, however, they decide to stop by Commissioner Gordon's office, as you do, where he is having a conference with Dick Dirk Dagner, a notorious Gotham gangster, as you do. Batman tells Gordon that they are going to throw a surprise party for the doorman at the, at the Crane Club. Call on Link Chesney, the humorist and gloomiest man in the city, and then visit the old lighthouse keeper at Pirate Reef. Because apparently we have stumbled into a Hardy Boys novel. Pirate Reef. Um, <laughs> Stella doesn't get the jokes. I don't. Young. I'm just laughing along as if this, I am. <laughs> this div gives Dirk a great idea, and he tells his men that their mission tonight is to make some money and foil Batman and Robin's holiday goodwill plans. Batman and Robin arrive at the Crane Club and whisk doorman Ben Botts inside for a surprise party. There's food, there's pretty girls, a big band, a rousing chorus of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, which is interrupted by Dirk and his gang. They begin robbing everyone, and Batman and Robin don't do anything because they don't want to risk civilians being hurt. When the goons want to see what is inside the presents our heroes brought for Ben, Robin uses a seat cane to his advantage and smacks two guys with it. This allows Batman to get in on the action, and a fight begins. Dirk pulls a gun on Batman, but Ben thinks quickly and throws a roasted chicken into the back of Dirk's yeah. head. Dirk flees, and because Ben saved the day, the doorman gets double his pay in terms of a raise. Batman and Robin head to Link Ch Chesney's house. Okay, I'm going to start that over. Batman and Robin hit to, hit, head to Link Chesney's house, bent on revenge as well. Wait, well. Sorry, while Dirk, bent on revenge, heads there as well. Chesney is a comedian, but laments that he is lonely because of all his listeners forget him once they turn off the radio. His doorbell rings, Batman and Robin tell him that they no longer needs to feel lonely because they will prove before the night is over that he is well loved. Unfortunately, that is when Dirk and his goons bust in and capture all three of them. They steal his joke filing cabinet and tie Batman, Robin, and Chesney into some noose combo thing where Chesney is on a stool and once he falls off the stool, the wraps tied around Batman and Robin's necks will tighten, killing them. Dirk and his goons head for the Pirate Reef Lighthouse, where Tom Wick sits. Oh, I get it. Lighthouse, Lightkeeper, Candle, Wick. Yeah. Uh, um, lamenting that he is lonely. Just, in, just then, a boat pulls up. Dirk and his guys act all friendly, telling them they don't want to be. They don't want him to be lonely. Tom tells him how the light is on, and it's good otherwise because the ship known as the Spanish Castle would be wrecked if it wasn't, and that ship is carrying millions in war materials. That's all the guys need to know. They knock Tom out, planning on turning off the light and planning on making money off the spoils of the crashed ship. Meanwhile, back at Link Ch Chesney's house, Link is getting tired, so what Batman does is lift Link and the stool with his powerful legs, then tells Link to jump on his shoulders and steady himself by leaning against the wall. Link does so and Batman kicks the stool up. It hits a light and then Batman uses a shard of broken glass to cut his bonds. The dynamic duo escapes and before they head off, Link gets a call from hundreds of fans wishing him a Merry Christmas all at once. 
Batman and Robin reach the lighthouse where Dirk and his men are waiting for the ship to crash. They swing in from the bat sleigh and take out the goons. Batman socks Dirk, smacking him into the lighthouse's main switch, which winds up turning the lighthouse back on. The day is saved, and Batman and Robin then have a nice evening with Tom Wick at the lighthouse. Do you the think they're eating the same roast that um, Ben threw? Because it looks like they're eating the chicken. The chicken. Maybe they are. The next day, Batman and Robin literally deliver Dirk and his gang to Gordon, all wrapped up in a bow. And then Bruce and Dick open their presents. Dick says, I've been thinking, Bruce, we never did find the loneliest man on Earth, did we? Botch, Chesney, and Wick all had friends, only they didn't know. No, replies Bruce. We sent him to prison for life. The loneliest man is Dick Degner. Yes, he says. He says Dick, not Dirk. Did you catch that? <laughs> It is on page. No, day. we sent him to Dick Dagner, not Dirk. Dick, oh dear. <laughs> they never fixed the error. Yeah. Anyway, he'll never have a friend because he's all greed and hatred. He's completely bad. A wild beast to be kept caged. Dick Grayson then turns to us and says, no one will ever say to him as we say to our friends, Merry Christmas. I guess you could have saved it with a couple uh, commas, right? The loneliest man is comma Dick, comma Dagner. Yeah, I know. But but I think it was an accident. <laughs> yeah. there. And there there is on between the last two panels, there's a, a signature, the Bob Kane signature that mm -hmm. says Merry Xmas below it. Yeah. Um, so the the Spanish castle, given the fact that this issue or this story in uh, Batman 15 also mm -hmm. it comes right after sort of a propaganda story. Yeah. Do you think that the war material like is it a connection to World War Two? probably yeah because this is 43 and the cover of Batman 15 I think it's in you probably have it on yours too and I think yeah. it's in here is Batman and Robin um, with a machine gun uh, Robin's with one of those machine guns and and some, somebody gun? yeah Michael Kwok can, can like knows what this is um, yeah, it's like a Gatling gun or whatever, and Batman's firing it while Dick kind of feeds the bullets through it. And it says, keep those bullets flying, keep on buying war bonds and stamps. So this is clearly in the middle of the comics war effort. And um, from what I've gathered, there are some, there are quite a, there are a number of stories. There's a couple of this Batman Chronicles that I'm looking at that there's more than one of those anti-Nazi stories in here. Um, and the one right before this is called The Two Futures, where like they imagine... Um, they imagine what it would be like if the Nazis win the war mm -hmm. and Batman and Robin end up being kind of like subversive underground fighters or whatever in the fantasy and then they I think they take out some Nazi spies or whatever toward the end it has the very immortal line the ringing in your ears is the Liberty Bell as he punches somebody which is my favorite line in the whole issue but yeah this follows that story so right yeah. after this anti-Nazi story you get this nice um, Christmas story. Elseworlds uh, before Elseworlds. It is. Those, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and these were all these sort of. This is back when you'd get what three stories in a Batman comic. Yeah, I think there were four all in here. Yeah. yeah, three or four, all self-contained more or less, and they, this runs roughly what? Like fifty-four pages. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the story itself yeah. that we just read runs about twelve. Mm -hmm. So, yep. what do you think of it? 
Uh, so I wasn't sure when you told me you were doing 15. You know, I got it from Comicsology. I'm going through all the stories, uh, which were all very interesting. And then we get to this, and just like the intro image, sometimes I like the image to almost. <laughs> point to or foreshadow what's about to happen but yeah. looking at this you know you got Santa in the background you got some people shooting at this bat plane you can't really tell yeah. um, <laughs> what's going on I um, I thought this was really fun mm -hmm. I do wonder you know some things like how did they pick these three people out of you know all the people in Gotham yeah. City and just like the pieces of them if you sort of step back, you wonder, how are these three going to get tied together? But they actually get tied together rather well. Mm -hmm. And then you also then wonder, how is Dirk going to try any sort of robbery? Because I think the one robbery that really makes sense, of course, is the first one. Because, of course, yeah. you could burst in and try to rob a bunch of people at well, yeah, a dinner party. Yeah, because it's a party. It's a very right. rich, swanky club. Yeah. And it's a party where all these rich people are attending. So he basically is going from person to person. Mm -hmm. Um, taking all their money, mm -hmm. which makes total sense. Right. right. But the comedian one, that was like a tough one for me to yeah. understand because I guess the jokes he said were, were worth like tens of thousands I or hundreds of thousands think, of dollars. Yeah, I think new ones, so. new ones. Um, And then the lighthouse, you don't really understand where the connection is with that. And I don't even think Dirk does until the lighthouse keeper tells us that um, if he turns off the light, then the yeah. Spanish castle is going to crash. But just really interesting connections, and I think it just has a nice spirit of Christmas with it because, you know, yeah. the point of it is that Batman and Robin want to give back somehow, and it starts from page one with them helping out that little kid and then trying to go a little further. And, of course, you've got the off-ball weird things, like how do they put the the sled runners on the bat plane and things oh, like that. But you just kind of go, yeah, go with it. You go with it. You do kind of go with it. Yeah. You go with the fact that Batman and Robin supposedly don't have any superpowers, but, you know, they have the superpowers of logistics. There you go. Because if you really... Granted, it's a it's a 1940s Batman story, so overthinking yeah, the realism yeah. is not something you want to do, but it is kind of funny of the logistics to pull all these things together in one night when you came up with this idea kind of on a whim. Yeah. You're right. It, 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 this this echoed this is echoed like 50, 60 years later in other superhero stories where it's like Superman and the Flash doing something very nice for a group of kids or something mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve. We don't get those a lot anymore, which is a shame yeah. in the new 52. But and I think the comfort and joy is sort of the thing that off the top of my head that episode of Justice League mm -hmm. was that like happened right before Star Cross happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, it's something that, you know, just like different stories started throughout and how these superheroes are, are coming. But you're absolutely right that we don't yeah. really get many holiday specials. Those were issues that I always look forward to from yeah. DC, like the Halloween or the yeah. the holiday, and they don't seem to do that much yeah. anymore. And they even did it. Um, one of the better ones is during the funeral, I think it's during the funeral for a friend storyline, where it was like everybody else takes up Superman's tradition because he's dead yeah. of doing whatever. I think it's like answering his mail or, or whatever. I think it's like and Mike could probably yeah. tell us. Um, Mike, where if are actually, you? <laughs> Mike's going to be on one of the next segments, so maybe I'll ask him okay, because we're go. recording this before I record with Mike. Um, I'm pretty sure it's like Superman answers certain letters every year and then tries to okay. help make these people's lives better. So what the Justice League or what's left of them does is 
the same thing. They pick up the slack because it's Christmas and Superman's gone. Yeah. This kind of, this is years and decades before it. And it kind of has that, you know, we're going to do something nice for people. Right. But, what did you think of the artwork? Because Golden Age comics mm -hmm. and artwork is hit or miss. Yeah. Um, I think like uh, when I first got my essential with, for Batgirl, mm -hmm. you know, and that was 60s, so this is like even before that. Yeah. Um, it took me a little bit, you know, to get used to it. Plus, it was in back black and white, so that also took mm -hmm. me some uh, to get used to it. But since I had over 53 pages of comic to read, um, I got used to this pretty quickly. Okay. Um, now, I will say that, and I, I actually liked the art on this. Um, I, I liked the way that, that Dick and Bruce look in and out of the costume. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's a little off-putting is sometimes I'm not sure what order to read the bubbles. Because it's not, as, sometimes they're yeah. like not as, like you kind of got to figure it out, whereas nowadays it's easier to read. But there are just yeah. some places where it's like, well, which, who says this first? Yeah. But it, overall, yeah, I enjoyed the artwork. Yeah, and, and uh, the one thing about a Golden Age story is that it is very text heavy. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of dialogue. Um, yeah, the, it's really fluid. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was a little more used to it because um, one of my great introductions to Batman, um, and Bailey and I talked about this, I think it's years ago now, okay. the Bailey's Batman podcast, was the greatest Batman stories ever told, mm -hmm. which has stories from 19, the early 1930s, the late 1930s, all the way up to what was then... Probably the, it was the thing was published in '89, but I think the most recent story of it in it was from '82, '83. So it was like the, basically the '30s to the '80s in a way. And so I read a lot of those Bob Kane, Dick Sprang, Shelley Maldoff stories from the '40s and '50s, like years and years ago. I had the greatest Joker stories ever told okay. and all that too. So, but it is a weird adjustment to yeah. make from reading more modern stuff or even reading if you're reading the era that I'm most like Jim Aparo, Norm Brayfogle, even Grant Miller, like that era where it's yeah. a little more what you're used to from Batman. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are way more panels on a page than mm -hmm. now we're used to, especially uh, my issue from Comicsology started with the Catwoman story and I felt like, man, there were all these you've little got, squares, so bam, 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 bam You'd have stuff. to do the math, but on average I'd say you've got about eight to nine Way panels per stuff. page. Yeah, on, there's a lot, and, yep. And in this, and, and there aren't, there's like one splash page for the story which is the mm -hmm. first page which right is serves as a um, another cover i i love the way the batman logo is because mm -hmm. the the background on the um on that first page it's it's just a dark sky with snow falling yeah, yeah. and in the corner you see the christmas star and then santa claus and so there's all this christmas iconography but so there's no bat behind the bat and man so the head's kind of sticking out of the sky and it's really really well done i've always liked the batman logo no matter what iteration it was up until about maybe the 90s. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the mid-90s Batman logo. But. I like the intros too to the story that yeah. sort of gives an overall like this is what you can expect yeah. because now with modern comics it's always the same tagline like who this person is maybe mm. a little bit about the story yeah. but this is actually it changes all the time all the stories that I was reading in this issue changed and I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. I'm trying to 
thing that the, the, the only thing that struck me as odd, and it is totally just convenient. This conveniently needs to happen mm -hmm. because it's um, well, basically, you need the villain to be in the plot somehow. Yeah. Why is Gordon having a meeting with a mob boss? <laughs> because he just got out of jail and he's I, telling him we don't have evidence on you. Yeah, I guess Where's so. Where's Harvey Dent when you need him? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he says you ought to be in. Yeah, okay, you ought to believe in Santa Claus, Dirk. We're not, we're not letting you go because we want to, but because we can't prove you were mixed up in those holdups. Mm -hmm. I'll believe in Santa Claus when I read the Batman's obituary. All right, yeah. So, so yeah. So it's a it it the whole thing rests on this just timing and coincidence yeah. on the part of the dynamic duo, but it still works for the for the sake of a twelve page story because. This isn't, um, I like the fact that it's just an ordinary gang of mobsters that, that he's fighting and not the Joker or the Penguin or anybody right. else. But why does Batman stop in to see Gordon? Why does he have to tell Gordon what he's planning? I don't know. Does he need permission to fly around? It won't, he says he isn't on my list, but it won't hurt to stop in and give him the season's greetings. Yeah. So he's just, he's being a nice guy. <laughs> okay. He's stopping by a friend's house to say, Merry office to say Merry Christmas. Yeah. And then he's like, did I hear someone talking about us? And, yeah. And yeah, so it's, it's a little contrived, but again, there's only so much picking apart you can do for a story like this one. Mm -hmm. that it's clearly just a very fun story to read. What did you think about the death trap? Where um, the comedian has to stand on tippy toes, and if he falls, he's going to strangle Batman and Robin. Um, and then how Batman gets out it's of it. very, it's very Rube Goldberg, but Two Face does the same sort of things in the, in some '90s comics. There's that. Um, well, there's the the classic one that gets built into Robin's backstory, mm -hmm. where it's uh, two people. One's the DA, and the other ones. It's like the double noose thing, and he has to figure out like who to save, and that's like his big failure. And then there was that one that in Prodigal, yeah, where they were yeah. he was literally going to crush the people with paperwork or whatever. Yeah. So this sort of thing doesn't go away. It's it's very, but it is very Rube Goldberg. And the way he the way he ends up like, I wish I could lift that much weight. Oh my gosh! Yes. With my legs, um, he's tied to a radiator, <laughs> and the stool that this guy is standing on is right over um, his shins, basically. Yep. So Batman hooks his feet under the stool and lifts. Yeah, man, leg lift. That's a total, and and then and some Richard Simmons on, yeah, right there. That's like that's some serious strength there, man. That that's impressive. Yeah. And then he gets the simultaneous phone call from hundreds of gay voices calling yeah. out to him at once. Merry Christmas, Link Chesney. I can't crying. believe it. Yeah. So. Do you have a favorite of the three Lone Ways men? Did you have a preference? I did like the first one. Okay. I liked because I thought it was um, it was the doorman. It's the doorman at the club. Mm -hmm. So here's a guy who has to here's a guy who has to work Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. He is putting up with. And the rich people might treat him nicely. I mean, after all, this is a comic from the 40s. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, for if you've ever had to work a night like that on a holiday, and some people can treat you awful. Like, it's just one of those things where 
he probably doesn't complain much, but it is kind of thankless. And then, not only that, so they throw him a big party. Not only that, I like the fact that he helps save the day. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Chesney does too, and I think the, the lighthouse keeper. But I like that he throws a chicken in there. Yeah. I just like, I like, because it's a really, actually, it's a really well done panel. Because um, you see the action lines from the chicken hitting the guy in the head and knocking yeah. his hat off. And it's actually a really, really well drawn. And yeah. it's just like, yep, yeah, here's a roast to chicken and so it's and he's got pretty good um, pretty good aim and then he get, he gets a he gets a raise out of it and he's like wow you know and the the lighthouse one the they steal the joke filing cabinet, like literally put the filing cabinet on a hand truck and roll that out of the office. And he says that some other comedian is going to pay big money for this. Yeah. So and there's really no, that's not really tied up, is yeah. it? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think we can just assume they got it back okay. once they um, arrested the, the goons. And then, um, and then the, uh, the lighthouse keeper, it's like... I feel like they weren't there to rob anything. They were just there to foil Batman's plans yeah. and mess this guy up. And it just happened to be that this ship full of um, war materials was coming by. And it's like, oh, well, all right, we can, you know, bonus. We can make money off of this. And so, you know, but... And, uh, and Batman punches the guy right into the light switch and everything is saved at the last minute. So. Yep. And yeah, uh, he gets shocked, but not shocked yeah. enough to die. No. <laughs> I did wonder in the first story, Ben keeps saying, "Oh no, this is all my fault. If I were the doorman out there, those guys would not have, you know, the goods yeah. would have gone in." I thought, "Well, what's to stop them from shooting you, Ben? How are you the yeah. only person that's going to keep a good out the point. What's to stop them from? Uh, yeah. What's to stop them from just uh, roughing up the, uh, <laughs> roughing him up and knocking him out? I mean, yeah. he's not." He's not a. They draw him as an old man, not old man, but he's you know, he's got a white mustache. He's he's a little portly, I guess. He's not he's not some he's not Batman. He's yeah. not some spry person. So, um, but yeah. So I like this. Yeah, it's fun. It it's nice to do yeah. these at Christmas. Absolutely. So, we'll wrap up this segment. Um, please, as if they don't know already, but please tell everyone where they can find you. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, first and foremost, you can find me monthly on Back for the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, and you can find that at thebatmanuniverse.net. And this month is my sixth, or the show's sixth anniversary, and Tom pops on there to talk some prodigal, as well as... As Donovan Morgan Grant, Josh Bertoni, and Michael Bailey. We also cover besides Prodigal Nightfall and Zero Hour and how Babs sort of rolls into that. And you can also find me bi-monthly every two weeks on uh, the Batman Universe comic podcast. And I'm also on comic book film review with some some men. I'm always a token female for some reason. So there you go. keep those boys in line. I guess so. And speaking of Michael Bailey, he'll be up next with a classic Superboy and the Legion of Heroes story. So stick around after this. Legion of Heroes, not superheroes. Legion of Superheroes. Did I say that? You said Legion of Heroes. Legion of Superheroes. Thank you for ruining my outro, Stella. The Legion of Superheroes. I've never heard this. Is this before the Legion of Superheroes? 
Ask Shag. Oh God. Shag's the one with the blog. That poor guy. Poor guy. <laughs> we'll be back. My name is Stella, and I host Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. I, along with my dear friend Donovan Morgan Grant, are going to be hosting a special Backroll to Oracle episode called The Minority Report. I'm putting the call out right now for anyone that identifies himself or herself as a minority to have a discussion centering around this question, are minorities portrayed properly in media? Now, Donovan Morgan Grant and I will be leading this discussion and would like your input. So whatever your nationality, ethnicity, gender identification, or sexual orientation, if you are interested in being a part of this conversation, please contact me at backrowtooracle at gmail.com. This discussion will take place in early 2016. Heterosexual white males need not apply. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing from you. And we are back. Uh, my next segment is going to feature the story Starlight, Star Bright, Farthest Star I See Tonight, which originally appeared in Superstar Holiday Special, which was DC Special Series number 21. Um, that was dated uh, spring 1980, but I'm just assuming that there was just a big, your typical newsstand newsstand and publication date uh, difference. And to talk about this, because this is a Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes story, basically is someone who is uh, always a, always great to have on when, whenever you want to talk Superman or Superboy, and somebody who is a personal friend and a friend of the show, uh, please welcome back Michael Bailey. Woohoo! Yeah. I actually have that uh, special. Oh, really? I, I, got it, I got it on eBay a couple of years ago, and it'll tie into my notes, but... Uh, it's actually well worth getting if you can track down a copy, because it's uh, it's got that Batman story, uh, mm-hmm. the the Frank Miller drawn Batman story, uh-huh. and and a couple others that are just uh, really solid Christmas stories. Yeah, and now and I know we both have this trade, and I have this mm-hmm. in the DC Universe Christmas trade that was published in, and I'm looking at the copyright date, two thousand. Uh, which I believe has that Frank Miller Batman story that leads yep. it off, and then um, has a has a bunch, including one of my all time favorite DC Christmas stories, which is that um, Santa Claus visits Apocalypse one. <laughs> just I love that, which is, which is just the greatest thing ever because 
I think I think having that story and the uh, the Kane story, yeah, is worth it in this trade just to have wrapping paper that has you know Captain Marvel and Robin and Superman and Batman and Green Lantern and Darkseid because <laughs> nothing says the yeah. ho- the holidays like Darkseid. Yeah. There's a great enemy ace story in here that John mm-hmm. Byrne did. I mean, this this is a really I got this in a five dollar trade bin, and I, I think this was a this had a pretty good print run, so it, it's pretty easy to find on the cheap. Um, so I would recommend picking it up if if you if you can find it. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, our story was from DC Comics, uh, DC Special Series number twenty one, the Superstar Holiday Special. It was cover dated spring nineteen eighty. I was too lazy to look up when it actually came out, but I'm going to say it probably came out in fall or winter of 1979. Um, and the story we said, like I said, is Starlight, Star Bright, Farther Star I See Tonight. And I'm going to give the summary. The credits on this are Paul Levitz, writer, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, pencils, Dick Giordano, inks. The colorist was Adrian Roy. Letterer was Ben Oda. The editor was Len Wein. The year is 2979 AD. The city is Metropolis, the planet is Earth, and the flying figure, of course, is Superboy, breaking the time barrier to visit the most extraordinary band of youths in the galaxy, the Legion of Superheroes. And Shag just lit up like it's Christmas just for him, and Rob Kelly just turned off the podcast. Um, Superboy heads to Legion HQ, which is still under construction, and he thinks it's a shame because he hoped it would have been done by Christmas. He says a quick co- hello to Monel, who's on guard duty, and as he makes his way in, he's quickly caught under the mistletoe by Phantom Girl, who kisses him. Not bad. Phantom Girl and Superboy head to see Saturn Girl, who is spending Christmas Eve on monitor duty, and we see a variety of images. Uh, for instance, Karate Kid and Princess Projectora, Projectora or Projecta, are in Japan celebrating an ancient tea ritual. Sorry, I can't read my handwriting. Uh, a fireworks. There's a fireworks tree on the world of Snurl. Chameleon Boy is on space patrol because Durla doesn't have Christmas, and Colossal Boy celebrates Hanukkah. Wildfire appears in the monitor room and says there are a hundred ways of saying it, but the message is still, well, peace on Earth. Superboy laments the lack of an old-fashioned Christmas tree in the 30th century, you know, because that doesn't exist back in Smallville, where he just came from. And then says he wants to use all that 30th century technology to find the Christmas star, the very one that, according to the Bible, appeared over Bethlehem the night of Christ's birth. They take off and they head to deep space where Lightning Lad says this, where the star should be, but it's not there. Instead, there's a small planet and not a star, and that planet could use the Legion's help. Wildfire uh, flies to an ocean region and melts some icebergs to get the plankton that several life forms need to eat. Phantom Girl and Lightning Lad save another life from being killed by a fire, and Superboy helps protect an indigenous bird-like creature's eggs. However, all four are discouraged because this world is doomed, or at least these races are. Superboy then has an idea. He turns telepathic earplugs into translators, while the others build a cave system, and the warm springs and shelter in those caves provide some of what those races need until the uh, United Planets can uh, pick them up. And Superboy has given the ability 
them the ability to communicate one another and that they, they can help one another and basically be safe. They all head back to Legion HQ. Superboy is convinced that something brought them there to do some good. Of course, Wildfire is skeptical, but can't say Superboy is wrong. And as the Teen of Steel decorates a Christmas tree, Saturn Girl says, Happy Holidays from all of us to all of you. So I'll let you start with uh, with with your review. It's a very short story. Okay. Um, snarky review, because I have two <laughs> reviews for this. I have the snarky review, and then I'm going to do the series review. Snarky review is, did you ever have that friend or relative or, or or you're hanging out at your buddy's house and it's Christmas time and, and somebody shows up, whether it's a relative or a friend or whatever, that just starts complaining about how the party <laughs> is being thrown yeah. and insisting that it's so much better wherever they came from. Yes. That is that is Superboy in this story. Superboy left Christmas in his own time period where there is tree and there is tinsel and all that mm-hmm. came to a place where they don't do that and is complaining. Cause they're not doing that. Can you I know? assume that Mon Pa Ken are still alive? Yes. Cause this okay. is, this is probably, this would be before they died. I okay. would assume. Okay. Um, though really, you know, thinking about it. Yeah, it would be because this is around the time, uh, I think it was around like 1978, 1979, 1980, where uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 258 was the last issue. Yeah. Legion of Superheroes started in 259, and then Superboy got the the New Adventures <laughs> book, uh, initially written by Carrie Bates, and then Paul Kupperberg came on that. Yeah. Uh, and did a story where Pop Kent was running for public office. So Smallville... As Trentus Magnus is is fond of saying, you know, so for everybody who complained about Smallville, read this comic and kiss my ass. Um, <laughs> but the entire point of the story is that Superboy was bored, came to the 30th century and dragged everybody. Now, you know, it, it starts off like your typical like kids show you know, wacky shenanigans. And then it turns into an episode of star Trek. Yeah. Uh, specifically the next generation. That's my snarky review. <laughs> um, this book, uh, the release date was December 6, 1979. Okay. Thank which was you. DC special series. Number 21. There's four stories in it or there was, uh, uh five, excuse me. There's a Jonah hex story, a Batman story, a Sergeant rock story, and this Legion story. And if you read the Batman story, which is one in Santa Claus Dead or Alive, which has been reprinted a bunch of times and yes. this is at the beginning of this trade, at the end of that story, there's this thing with a star. Like the, the point of the story is that one of the Batman sees the bad guy because the star lights through this one thing and it kind of puts a spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. And here at the end of this story, you see Superboy looking up and seeing a star, which got, guided them. That was the through line for all of the stories in the book. There was a star in each one of them that played into the plot. Uh, And on the cover, if you look at the cover, it's all of the characters. uh, Beautiful, beautiful cover to this thing, uh, to the original comic. It's all of them kind of heading towards the star in the middle of the cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I didn't know that until I bought this book. And, uh, and, but the, the, the other story was a house of mystery story, which is always kind of fascinating. 
the cover to the the super the the super spe, the special series though is you, you have to see it if you have not seen it. It's by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his, his name. name. And you have like the Legion and Superboy flying towards it. You have Jonah Hex doing like a Hio Silver. You have Sergeant Rock kind of looking up. And then you have Kane and Abel on a camel. Huh. And then there's Batman in the front of it kind of with this, you know, with his hand out, like inviting you to come in. So it's why I tracked this thing down because it's such a it's such a neat cover and it was and I got a really good deal on it. Um, the story itself, there's really not much to say about it. They go to this planet and they they learn, God, like He-Man, all those cartoons in the '80s that teach you know teach you to you know if we all work together, everything's going to be okay. That's yeah. the point of this story. It's like I'm almost more fascinated at seeing what the other Legionnaires are doing with their holiday downtime than what happens at the back end of the story. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and it could have been an interesting story. About, I mean, it's it's interesting, and, and I think the art makes it more interesting mm-hmm. than it actually is. Um, but there is this sort of fun little I've got to work on Christmas Eve thing going at Legion headquarters yes. that, that, is, that is the topic of many a sitcom episode. That would have been interesting to see play out a little bit more. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> Like you want to see like a like a Justice League Bahaha era where Oberon is on monitor duty on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And like all of the characters kind of coming in around him. I mean, it's just, you know, I think if I'm correct, this it was either one of the first mentions or a very early mention that Colossal Boy was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And there weren't many Jewish superheroes. No. Uh so that was kind of a big deal. Um you know, there's the tea ceremony. I mean, this is kind of similar to Wanted Santa Claus Dead or Alive, mm-hmm. uh, which was a Justice League story written by Len Wein, where at the beginning of it, they show what like other Justice Leaguers are doing for Christmas. And it's like Atlantis has this light festival. And you, you kind of like roll your eyes, but you're like, no, some cultures do that. You know, yeah. you know, every, everybody has their different celebrations around this time period. And, and to have a, a, you know, karate kid doing the tea festival while Colossal Boy is celebrating Hanukkah. One, it's very inclusive. And two, it just shows you, OK, there's there's more to this than just Christmas. Yeah. So uh, I kind of appreciated that. I mean, it's a fun story. Wildfire is the cantankerous, you know, guy that's complaining the entire time. Yeah. Phantom Girl, you know, <laughs> Phantom Girl is like all over Superboy at the beginning of the story. <laughs> yes. But that was just kind of her thing. Um, and it's just if Superboy wasn't kind of obnoxious, which I think is kind of funny because you don't normally see, you know, Cal L. As like the obnoxious, whiny, you know, ugly American, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm kind of that's why I'm kind of fascinated by the story and why I like it so much is because we're seeing like this side of Superman where he's so excited he's kind of forcing his his uh, you know what he wants to do on everybody else, but it ends up you know saving an entire planet. So you can't argue with it. Yeah. It you know it it, it fits. And it fits a teenager very well mm-hmm. because Christmas is still, I mean, I'm stereotyping here, but Christmas is still one of those holidays when even as you start to get older, you there's still a, it's, you still allow yourself to feel like a kid. 
mm-hmm. and you or you want certain things a certain way. Like I totally understand where he's coming from, and um, you know, and yeah, you're right. He is. He's he's such a kid, but he he is. He's the one who complains that it's not like you know. Well, th- at my house, we do the mashed potatoes this way. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and but then uh, then he has them like you know. Hey, let's go out and do this, and everybody's kind of like, all right, we got nothing better to do, and they take off in like the faux starship Enterprise there. And um, you're right, it does turn into an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I would say specifically next-gen Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first season next-gen Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Where they're still trying to figure everything out, and the conflict doesn't come from character, but from something being in danger. Yeah. So, I mean, again, not complaining, but still no, just no. kind of funny. Because this is 1979, and... Uh, you know, next gen wouldn't come up till 1987. No, so. no. Wildfire looks so bored in that this one panel, <laughs> right under where they show the ship, and he's like, "Yeah, but chasing a legend." He's just got his hand. He's got his hand on his knee, just kind of like, "How did I get rid?" Like, like, couldn't I have pulled guard duty with Monel? Like, <laughs> and, and you gotta think, you know, his entire existence kind of sucks because he's just energy in a suit. Yeah. So. I kind of feel bad for him in general. Yeah. Uh, I was glad that we did not get Cosmic Boy from this era because Cosmic Boy from this era, his costume was ridiculous. Yeah. More ridiculous than Saturn girls. <laughs> was this the, um, were these the costumes that Mike Grell designed? I believe they were, okay. but everybody, uh, if I got it wrong, everybody at the, uh, the Legion of Super Bloggers is screaming at me. Yeah, I want to say it's Grell or like Dave Cockrum or somebody. Oh, the Cockrum usually design better costumes than than this. Um, I don't know. Some of Cockrum's, you know, they were great costumes for the time period. Yeah. But you look at them now, and they're extremely dated. That's like um, Perez does the same thing, where it's either they're really dated or they are only costumes that he can actually draw. You know, yeah, with a few exceptions. It's like, you know, there are many things to complain about with Jericho. Mm-hmm. So it's like his outfit is like one of like the least things you complain about with Jericho. Yeah. But it's it's a costume that could only exist in nineteen eighty-four. Oh yeah. Well the the <laughs> the disco collar on Nightwing. Yeah. The only other person I ever saw who did it just as well was Tom Grummet. Yes. Otherwise, it was always like there were some artists who drew that costume as if Dick Grayson was almost wearing the cone of shame. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely right. Like Jim Aparo never had a good handle on that no, costume. No. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that to insult Jim Aparo because I love Jim Aparo, but it's just like you, like he, like Aparo nailed the classic Robin outfit. Yes. And then he would have to draw this other one, and it was just like you, you just clearly see it was not in his artistic yeah. wheelhouse yeah, to not make o- that look good. And not only that, and we'll get back on topic in a second. When Aparo drew, drew, drew the second version of Jason Todd, I love the way he almost drew it as a kid playing dress up. Mm-hmm. They always felt that way to me in a way that, like, you know, Jason looked like slightly like he didn't belong in the costume and i'm not saying that as a sort of like 
Robin belongs to this character, but like he looked out of place and I knew that's what Starlin was probably going for. And, uh, so, but yeah, you're right. That night when he drew Nightwing, it just, it was always off. I, um, I am very impressed that, uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, is able to draw Superboy as looking like a teenage Superman. Yes. Like you can see he's going to grow up, but he's not as bulky as the older Superman is. And specifically the hair Mm -hmm. his he, cause he always kind of drew Superman, especially in the, in the merchandising art as kind of having a slightly receding hairline. Mm -hmm. Whereas here it's all like bushy and he's uh does he do the Neil Adams? He's got the sideburns. So, you know, he looks like a teenager in 1979, which is kind of problematic when you think about it. But, um, but, uh, you know, like all of the Legion characters are dead on model, uh, yes. which isn't surprising, but it's just, I was just very impressed that his Superboy does not look, and, and I'm just going to use this as an example to compare. It doesn't look like what Gary Frank did with <sighs> young Clark Kent in secret origins where it just looked like they shrunk his body. He had that gigantic head yeah, uh... and it doesn't look like a teenager. And that's a problem because, you know, and I, and I get it. Drawing teenagers is hard. Drawing kids is hard. Yeah. Uh, John Byrne has like four kids that he draws, that he cycles through. You know, and Robin Shag just mentioned on Who's Who, um, which just came out because they're the Superboy entry. Mm-hmm. The Pocket Universe Superboy entry was in that episode. How Byrne made that Superboy look like a an actual teenager. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, which, which it, it's hard to pull off yeah. because you're dealing with, you're dealing with that weird, like they're not quite an adult, but they're not a kid anymore. Yeah. So, and, and also you're dealing with the fact that they're, you know, larger than life figures. So they're mm-hmm. going to have that physique. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like, I, I just to pull another artist out, Mike McCone. Mm-hmm. When the new Teen Titans series started in 2003, yeah, I thought McCone drew realistic-looking teenagers. Yeah, uh, like they didn't look like small adults. Essentially, like they they looked like okay, we're not quite there yet. And I am always very impressed with that. And the Legionnaires, and again, the Legion of Superbloggers can scream at me <laughs> if they want to. I always got the sense by this point that the Legionnaires are kind of like the new Teen Titans, where they're all like nineteen twenty, yeah, you know, es- like in that in that in that yeah. age range, especially Lightning Lad, like especially the original guard mm-hmm. of the. And I'm my Legion knowledge is in bits and pieces where I, I I'm. So there are sometimes where I regret selling because I had a decent run of it and I was trying to collect the rest of it and then I had to sell it for reasons. But um, where I kind of regret selling that, so I could go back and collect most of. I had most of the Baxter series and part of the five year later. Um, I have the Great Darkness Saga and trade, so I, I know a little bit here and there about them. But I know that at this point, I think we're Lightning Lad and Center Girl married. They were married, yes. Yeah. So they're kind of the older people in there so they and they actually do look like they're in their 20s at this point Mm -hmm. where phantom girl looks a little bit younger and uh 
Which, you know, <laughs> you know, this is a digression, but it has to do with the character. So I guess it's not really a digression. Mm-hmm. That is something that just occurred to me that's kind of weird about this era of Legion and maybe why Superboy left. Uh, and, and somebody probably has like the reason because I know they did like a, a, I don't know if they did two of them, but I know they did at least one Legion companion for two Morrows. I know they did two Teen Titans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I well, have the Titans ones. Um, so somebody can, you know, write in or, or, you know, post on Facebook or whatever. Cause I'd really like to know this. Did they separate Superboy and the Legion because he was still a teenager, but all of the members that basically brought him in had now gotten older and were like in their early, their very late teens and early 20s? That's a good point. Because it's a weird dynamic at that point. I mean, when I was, um, when I moved down here to Georgia back in uh, 20 years ago, good God. Uh, the group of friends that I hung out with, we were all 20, 21, 22. We were all like within like three or four years of each other. Mm-hmm. But there was this one kid who was like 16 and still in high school that hung out with us. And it was okay because, you know, it was, you know, we were all like, we had similar interests and he was one of these kids that was a little both immature but mature for his age, yeah. if that makes any sense. He could hold his own, so to speak. He could hold his own with like the the, 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 the older kids. But it's still kind of weird every once in a while. Think of, okay, there's six people in this room right now. One of us has to leave because he has to get up for high school tomorrow. Yeah. And that's kind of where the Legion and Superboy are right now. Yeah. With, with this one, is that you've got like kind of the younger ones, but you've also got... Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl. Uh, and even Mon-El would be kind of older by this point. Yeah. I wish there was more Mon-El in this story, but that's just yeah. because I really like Mon-El. No, I've always <laughs> liked that. Even when he was Valor, I liked that character. Yeah, because it, it's... <laughs> and I feel really stupid for some... I think it was Shag on the and, and Rob on the Who's... Well, more Shag than Rob, because it's the Legion. And as we all know, Rob hates the Legion with the fire of a thousand burning suns um that monel is basically superboy but with the colors inverted yeah and i feel really thick for never noticing that. <laughs> uh, no but it was a fun story yeah. i mean you know it's just you know it's it's science fictiony and it's futuristic and superboy's kind of obnoxious and you know there uh, I, I love the fact that chameleon boy is just they don't they don't sell Christmas isn't a holiday so he just remains on space patrol so basically Chameleon Boy is the one going to the movies and eating the Chinese food yeah <laughs> this was in an era where DC was doing these sorts of stories on the you know pretty much on the regular and it would they'd have them and then kind of publishing them would wane a little bit and they would they would pick back up because um. You, prior to us going live here, you mentioned the Holiday Bash specials that mm-hmm. some of which are collected here. And and uh, in in my last segment, and this is something I wanted to kind of sort of verify, I tried to describe to the best of my ability the the Christmas themed ish part of uh, Funeral for a Friend, mm-hmm. where I was it was something on the order of 
Superman always answers letters on Christmas Eve and helps some people out, and the Justice League was doing that for him because he was dead. But I don't know if I got that exactly right. No, that, that's exactly right. Uh, the previous <coughs> year, uh, and I'm kind of struggling for the issue number, so I'm going to vamp a little bit while I figure that out. But the previous year, Dan Jurgens uh, wrote this beautiful story uh, called Metropolis Mailbag. And that was kind of a play on the fact that the the letter column for the Superman title was Metropolis Mailbag. Yeah. So in Superman number 64, you had this really cool costume, this great cover where you have like Holly and the berries and some, some ornaments like framing it. And in the middle of it, you have Superman reading a letter. And you would think, okay, this isn't going to be dramatic at all. But it was, it was beautiful. And he was basically reading these letters. And, 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 and what Jurgens established was that every year on a certain date, right around Christmas, Superman goes to the Metropolis post office and reads all the mail that's addressed to him. And Lois goes with him on this because by this point they're engaged. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of sharing this with her. And she's reading some of the letters and they're just insane. <laughs> like, you know, can you squeeze a lump of coal into a diamond? diamond stuff yeah. like that. So the next year, you're right, Superman's dead. And the Justice League of that era and some of the other heroes. So you have Power Girl and the ugly, you know. If you ever look at the yellow and white uh, turtleneck costume that Power Girl had mm-hmm. and think, oh, my God, that's terrible. No, wait, hold up, because it's it's about to get worse. <laughs> this That was that awful costume. with It's red, white, and blue. It has this weird keyhole thing on it. Oh, it's yep. bad. It's I can't. I think she has a headband, too. Yes, because nothing says... 1990 whatever as uh, you know like like i had been but it was basically a bunch of them showing up and honoring this tradition and the uh the two the stories that kind of like stand out is that guy gardner is guy gardner um but guy gardner is just like you know you know i can't believe superman did any of this and he ends up helping a mother reunite with her son uh, that she hasn't seen in years, and Wonder Woman and the and like the Flash and a bunch of the other heroes rebuild Mitchell Anderson's house. And if you're familiar with the Doomsday storyline, uh, when the Justice League and Superman, when Superman finally gets involved in the fight, it's in front of this house by this jerk kid. This this like typical early '90s teenager with the backwards baseball cap and <laughs> skateboard and you know he's about 30 seconds from discovering nirvana uh <laughs> and all, all that you know he's gonna like in three years he's gonna have a temple he's, of the dog you know, he's, he's eddie furlong in yeah. terminator 2 and and his house is just trashed and one of the things that jurgens established because jurgens is a master of this is just in the dialogue and the way these characters are relating to each other, you find out that Mitchell's parents are divorced. He's living with his mother, his mother, and, and they have a, a young, and he has a little sister who's still in, in a high chair, essentially. And he's all, like, upset because she doesn't have soda. And he says this really shitty thing to her, like, you know, like, you know, at least, you know, dad always has soda, you know, at his apartment. No wonder he left. And then ice flies into the... <laughs> 
into the window. And it's one of the turning points of the story is that he smells gas and the Justice League uses all of their um, energy powers and ignites it. There's this gigantic explosion and Superman takes off after Doomsday, who has just decimated the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And But Mitchell and his family are trapped and he calls out. And right when Superman almost has Doomsday, he turns back and saves the Andersons. Well, in this story... Mitchell has come to Metropolis because somebody is posing as Superman's wife and he wanted to apologize to this woman because he felt responsible. He felt like if Superman was able to take out doomsday when he had the chance to, that it would be, you know, that he wouldn't have died. And he's found by Jimmy Olsen. Uh, Because if you're going to have a, you know, snot-nosed teenager, Jimmy's like, you know, five, three years separated from that. And Bibbo, um, who's amazing. So you have this letter arrives though in the post office from Mitchell's mother saying our house has been destroyed. My son's run off, but I just wanted to thank you for saving us. So wonder woman tracks down her ex-husband who didn't know any of this and the flash and a bunch of the other justice leaguers rebuild the house and reunites the family. And, you know, the husband comes back to it and Mitchell, uh, Bibbo gives Mitchell airfare to get back, back home. And it's like this kind of really sweet, you know, like this is what Superman would have wanted. You know, this is how we're honoring his memory by continuing the mission, because it's not all about just fighting, you know, people like Doomsday or Bizarro. It's about helping the little people. Now, the sad part of that is eventually you discover, because Mitchell becomes a superhero. Oh, really? In the late 90s, oh, he's part of that whole Superman of America idea that was around for about five oh, months. Oh, I missed that. His name, I believe, was Outburst, if I'm remembering correctly. But you find out that his dad died. Oh. <laughs> and the thing was, and I was thinking, like, Jurgens had this way of taking characters like that and giving them those moments. Mm-hmm. And stories in a way that didn't feel intrusive on the rest of the story. Or he also had this way of calling back to things that had happened even years prior. Um, yeah. The other example, because this that was 64 was the first, that first issue you mentioned. Um, the one with the Christmas tree, and the, Metro- the original Metropolis mailbag. And I think it was 59 is that great issue where he takes Lois to the top of like Mount Everest or wherever they have that very long talk Mm -hmm. about why he's Superman. And then right after she breaks off the engagement and it's what that, and that's what three or four years later, there's a, they have the same conversation and the covers the same. It's, it's a totally like, it's a total callback cover, but I remember buying that issue specifically because I had loved the original issue and it's a, heartbreaking issue um because by then you know the the engagement is off and and um and of course then the wedding eventually happens and stuff and no that's yeah, they, they took that original cover they tore it in yes half, and, and then in the middle of it you had them kind of facing away from opposite, each other 
away yeah. from each other to show that there is a schism. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey and I are almost there on from crisis to crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're about a, we're about a little less than a year away from that stuff. I'm not looking forward to covering those issues because 96 is a hard year to get through. Oh, really? Uh, just because the drama of them being broken up, it just never felt right. It, it just, none of it felt right. Um, there was only one good thing to come of it, but, uh, but you know, but no, it's just, it's a, the Superman 76 one has a fantastic cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only misstep on the cover, uh, is not the power girl con- costume because Jurgens didn't design it. So it's not his fault. Uh, Jurgens didn't really have a good handle on the Nightwing costume of this time period. Uh, that was the uh, the Tom Grummet design costume with the yeah. um, the the Who's Who entry. By the way, was Jose drawn Luis. by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. And even he didn't have a really good handle of it. In all honesty, I only think Grummet and Art T. Bear knew mm-hmm. how to draw that costume correctly. And T. Bear it's did really... it in like a poster, and that was it. Yes, because it was supposed to be a mini series. Yeah. That... Uh, that's another story for another day. <laughs> oh, there wasn't much to the main story, so and it's just you and I talking comics. So this yeah, it's true. So, <laughs> this is why people pay you the big bucks for these episodes. Oh they yeah, want the content. <laughs> yeah, the content. <laughs> I know this is fun. I, I, yeah. I love I love Christmas stories in general. Uh, I do too. Comic book Christmas stories are usually a lot of fun, and it's it's almost like. It translates into television too, because mm-hmm. you know some some series did it terribly, but usually the Christmas episodes were always at, at the very least fun, and you could you kind of enjoy, you know, what they're trying to do because you know obviously they're not filming this in December. Yeah. So I always feel bad for these people that have to pretend that it's. Um, that it's cold outside. It's it, Rachel and I watch a lot of Christmas movies around this time period, like mm-hmm. a lot of the Hallmark and the Lifetime, and and really the Lifetime ones are kind of depressing uh, because usually there's not usually just about every time somebody is dead, like a mother is dead or a father has died, yeah. the family's trying to get you know get through it, uh, so they they have to throw it, but but. It's always annoying to see these actors standing in in snow with heavy coats on, but you don't see their breath. So you know it's not <laughs> cold. So, so as you're working your way through Dean Kane's entire IMDb profile, <laughs> have you come across it's a Susan Lucci movie? Where it's essentially a Christmas Carol, and yes. she's screwed. Yeah, what is it called? Like Effie or something. My wife has seen it, and she yes, it's it's awful. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the one that she always remembers. I always remember, and this is from the very early eighties, the night they saved Christmas with like one of the Charlie's Angels, and I want to say it was Jacqueline Smith, and like they go to the North Pole and help Santa through a crisis or something. I saw it like in the first grade. I have to track it down. Yeah. Early eighties ones that, which they don't show as much as I think they should, because, uh, 
You're absolutely yeah, Jacqueline Smith. Jacqueline Smith, okay. And Art Carney. Yeah. Um, the great thing about the ones that are made nowadays is if you liked somebody in the '90s, you're going to see them now. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's one that's a. They all have. There's about five different plots. There is we're going to do a Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And there's like the Divas Christmas Carol. There's the one with Susan Lucci. Yeah. Uh, which actually has some pretty good dramatic points. There's one with Tori Spelling. Oh, God. Uh, that is better than it deserves to be. Uh, and and my, the thing I remember most about that is that uh, her love interest guy was played by Michael Landis, who was Jimmy Olsen in the first season of Lois and Clark. Yeah, I remember that. Um, you have the... Either Santa has sent somebody to here or somebody has to go back and save Christmas. Subsection of that is somebody has to go replace Santa. There's one with Steve Gutenberg where he's the son of Santa and he has to get married by Christmas because he has to take over and there has to be a Mrs. Claus. His assistant is an elf played by the guy that played Quark on Deep Space Nine uh-huh. and uh, Tim Daly's girlfriend from Wings is the romantic lead. Crystal Bernard? Yes, Crystal Bernard. So you have that. Dean Kane is in a thousand of them. <laughs> a bunch of them are he plays part of a crime duo. Where they like steal stuff, and this dog is constantly thwarting them, and the dog talks, but it's look who's talking, talking. Oh, where like the dogs can hear each other, but the adults can't hear them. They don't uh, like animate their mouths, do they? No, no. Okay, it's just thankfully. they just show the dog like looking over and emoting. I All guess right, that's not say. too bad. Uh, Mario Lopez is the voice of the dog. Uh, the one we watched the other night, which is like the third or fourth in the series, because they did other holidays too, uh, had Casper Van Dien in it. Um, so you have that type of one. You have the, I've got to get a new husband or wife for my parent. Uh, there's a couple uh, like basically parent trap. Type hey, I was going to say parent trap type of thing. Uh, yeah. So you have like, but so and, once you start watching them all together, it's really weird how they're all the same. It's like Mad Libs. It is. It is basically Mad Libs. But the great thing is, is again, if you loved Family Ties, there's one out there where Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter Burney are Santa and Mrs. Claus. My favorite that I've run across, uh, actually not favorite because I don't like the film, but one of the one of the weirdest like metatextual ones was you had Alan Thicke playing Cameron, uh, Candace Cameron Bure's father. So you had Kirk Cameron's sister, but he was the father. So it's this weird growing pains type thing. Yeah. And uh, Alan Thicke is in a thousand of these. He usually plays a prick. Um, Shocking. So it's just, but I can't help but watching them because most of them are really sappy, mm-hmm. but around this time of year, that's what you want. And that's why this story is great because it's sappy, Yeah, but it gives you what you want. You don't, 
you don't need Watchmen with your Christmas story. No. Though a Watchmen it, Christmas story would be kind of fascinating. It's not too schmaltzy though, because mm-hmm. there are because there are sitcom sitcoms do this badly too. Because the sitcom the other the other t- plot that you didn't mention is the It's a Wonderful Life plot, mm-hmm. and that's where it can get into this even because there's a, there's a limit that I have because I'm cold and dead inside um, <laughs> for sappy things. And, you know, I, um, it's, it's something that, that I know it's kind of an acquired taste for a number of people, but one of my all time favorite Christmas programs is uh, the episode titled so-called angels, which is these Christmas episode of my so-called life, which is a, um, it's very, very dramatic. It's very, you know, sincere and earnest although there are some very very funny lines when Claire Danes is talking to her parents about like why don't we go to church and they start having this sort of weird discussion that actually so many parents probably had like where her mom's like well your dad's Catholic and I'm not and we just kind of stay you guys weren't interested and blah 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 and her little sister on cue who's I think Danielle's about maybe 11 or 12 (laughs) walks in and says do we have to keep talking about religion it's Christmas (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's this perfect line because, and and it's it's a it's an episode about homelessness and it's an episode about like you know abuse and things like that and, and like and it gets very sappy at the end but it never feels like incredibly schmaltzy but there are some Christmas sitcom episodes especially where you are kind of like at the end like really like it gets there, there's a Saved by the Bell one that I'm thinking of and, and yeah I was about to say Saved by the Bell was probably yeah. atrocious but then you have 90210 did one as well <laughs> it's like, oh. uh, one of my favorite is uh, the show Leverage mm-hmm. uh, which is a fantastic show uh, with Timothy Hutton, Hutton. Okay, yeah. Kane and uh, Aldous Hodges and uh, that woman who has the weird name but she plays Parker and she was apparently at one point married to Jason Lee which kind of freaks me out but oh um, um yeah she's um Beth something it's she's got kind of a weird last yeah, name that I can't pronounce I she, but if I'm thinking of the right person she was in Chasing Amy as the girl that um this might be the wrong person, but the woman, the scene in Chasing Amy where Affleck finds out that Alyssa's gay mm-hmm. because she's making out with um, the girl at the club. I think that is Jason Lee's wife at the time. Yeah, this would be a different because if I'm yeah, remembering correctly, the, the the girl at the club. Maybe I'm wrong. Never mind. All right. But, <laughs> but the, the, the episode is if you're not familiar with leverage, it's a bunch of former thieves and people that kind of did nasty things getting together to screw over those who have screwed people over. That sounds like a perfect vehicle for Timothy Hutton. Um, yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and they basically, at this point in the series, it's season three. So they have, they're set up in a bar, uh, in Boston and people come to the bar to, to get their help. Parker, who's uh, the thief is just bubbly for Christmas. Like she is just so into Christmas and Santa Claus has been fired from the mall and they have to get him his job back. And that's, that's where the plot goes. But the mall manager is played by Dave Foley. Uh, (laughs) And the the bad guy is this character named chaos 
who was a kind of a reoccurring villain played by Will Wheaton. Uh, and it's got everything from a normal leverage show episode, you know, hacking and thieving mm-hmm. and all, and, you know, Christian Kane beat some ass at one point, but it's all Christmas themed hmm. and it's just beautiful. It's just like, I watched the ion, which is one of the channels that shows Christmas movies on the weekends, mm-hmm. uh, actually led off one of their days of Christmas movies with it. And I was just sitting there like a little kid. Just like all wrapped up in it because I love these stories. And it's just, and that is the answer, folks, to does Mike have a point? That was the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's just, you, you can't help. I mean, this entire trade paperback uh, that we're both reading from, because I was too lazy to dig out the issue. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just full of these. I mean, there, there's a, there's a story in this thing that I can't recommend enough because it's Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, and Connor Hawk, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, in a diehard type situation at a mall. Yeah, it's the one right after this. Uh huh. And it's just it's like how one. that writes itself. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what you want to see. So. Yeah, even the um the House of Mystery one in here is basically Twas the Night Before Christmas, mm-hmm. but like. A things that go bump in the night version where um the the homeowner goes down to the living room with a shotgun because he thinks he hears an intruder and you never see santa claus but he just says oh freeze buddy hold right where are you well i'll be a son of a gun and he just goes back upstairs he says don't worry honey everything's fine mm-hmm. and like clearly it was santa claus but they never see santa and it's just it's a one two three it's a, it's a Four page story, three mm-hmm. pages if you don't count the um pinup that's the first story. And it's brilliant. It's just it, you know it's, it also has the Teen Titans a swinging Christmas carol. Yes, that's where you where you read it and you feel very, very uncomfortable with the way you look at Wonder Girl. <laughs> that was Damn it, Nick Carty. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> No, but thank you so much for for, yeah, for inviting me on thank for this. You for coming this was on. a this was a lot of fun. I, I I I've talked about this story before, but it's been years since I've read it. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's and it's always great to talk to you. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so before before you uh, before you leave and and I move on to my next segment, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, best place is fortressofbailey2.com. It's my Superman blog, uh, which I've actually been posting content to. And more than just posting a uh, like, like a picture here and there. Uh, around the time that this one, uh, I, I, I will make an announcement uh, because it's kind of germane to you and I and our love of '90s comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- had been posting like every Wednesday, usually a Who's Who entry, uh, Superman-related one. I've run out of those now, so I am now. Uh, it's going to be Secret Files Friday. Uh, where it's going to be secret files entries. And cool. if you don't know what secret files and origins is, folk, it's like who's who, just not as detailed. Yeah. <laughs> and very specific to what's going on at the moment. Yes. Uh, and in some it, cases, reveals spoilers for things that haven't happened yet. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but there you can also find From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast with Jeffrey Taylor and I host. Also over at viewsfromthelongbox.com. Uh, you can find my show. Usually I talk about comics this month. I've been talking about star Wars because I am a shameless whore. 
uh, and we'll try to drag in traffic if I can by tying into something big, because as Tom and I record this, folks, a bunch of our friends are seeing Star Wars. Yes. And we are not seeing not together, but we are not seeing it till Saturday. No. So. <laughs> no. In fact, as of I was just saying, as of this moment, I am completely off my social media and uh, have threatened coworkers who are going tonight. And all right, well, thank you very much, and uh, everybody else, stick around. I'll be back with Team Titans number six. <laughs> In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire and Water Podcast Network happening this year. What do you think, Rob? That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show, and I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins Podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network, and then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, Oh Hot Moo. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC Heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha podcast. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first, so we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben voyons donc. You have what? got uh, what? It. No, we French cannot be the French Enough! Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See? Now, was that so hard? Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? Team Titans number six was released on January 26, 1993, with a March 1993 cover date. The creative team is Marf Wolfman, writer, Art Nichols, penciler, Will Blyberg and Alve inkers, John Costanza was your letterer, Gene D'Angelo was the colorist, Frank Pitteris was the assistant editor, and Rob Simpson was your editor. The future may be lost forever, but can they find the past? It should have been a wonderful life. We open with a trivial pursuit wheel looking circle, and on the wedges are images of the five team titans in happier days in their old world, except for Mirage, whose wedge is blank, and in front of which we see her standing, her head in her hand, upset. The story then opens up at the farmhouse that is currently owned by Donna Troy and Terry Long. Well, what's left of the farmhouse is, anyway as this immediately follows a two-part storyline where the core group of Team Titans met up with Metallic and fought a renegade group called Judge and Jury. 
You don't really need to know about that. All you need to know is that the farmhouse was destroyed and they're kind of sitting there in the cold. The cleanup, however, will wait because the focus of this issue is that all after all of these this time of covert missions fighting cosmic dictators running into other teams, they finally have the chance to relax, and that means exploring the world in which they now live. Naturally, this means going home, something that all of them are interested in doing, well, except for Mirage. She reacts to the idea of looking up her past by running away and crying. Phantasm, the new titan who is the embodiment of Azeroth, offers to help, but she blows him off. When Phantasm pushes her to reveal her name and her face, she gets angry. Meanwhile, Kilowatt flies to Louisiana town where he grew up only to find a small city, and then discovering that his aunt and uncle's house is not occupied by his aunt and uncle, but by an old black couple. At Radio City Music Hall, Battalion checks in on an old flame named Essie, who is performing there, and is shocked to see that she's getting married to someone else. In London, Knight Rider prevents the car accident that landed him in the hospital and led to him becoming a victim of horrific scientific experiments that turned him into a vampire. Mirage boards a plane for Rio de Janeiro, which we are to assume she is from. As she sits alone, she looks around and sees couples and families and then begins beating herself up over her loneliness. She has no family and her friends know nothing about who she really is. For all we know, they haven't seen her real face. She runs into the bathroom where Phantasm appears again and once again urges her to open up. Miri argues with him and finally admits that one of the things she is running from is the fact that she killed her own father. It's implied that she did so because she was a victim of abuse, and Phantasm tells her basically to look inside herself and realize that she is a family with the Team Titans. In New York City, Terra stands at the grave of Tara Markov, the original Terra, the one who once tried to murder the Titans. She tells Terra that she hates her because of how Lord Chaos's people stole her memories and her identity and basically gave her Terra's ID. A groundskeeper comes up to her and asks her if she is related to Terra. Terra says no, and the groundskeeper says that despite what they say in the press, he thinks the Titans are heroes. He also mentions that Changeling often comes by and talks to Terra. Terra, too, leaves and the groundskeeper is revealed to be Phantasm in disguise, and he says something about finding your family wherever it may be. Back at the farmhouse in New Jersey, the t- new Titans and the Team Titans gather for a Christmas party. Red Wing says that her and Prester John's parents live in Atlanta and they have girls. Then Miri shows up. She says her name is Miriam Delgado, and she says, We don't have to dwell on what happened in our past. We don't have to search for our families that can never be ours. The only family that matters is the one we love. And my family is here in this room. And then the editors say, And to you, our extended Titans family, a happy holiday and wondrous new year. Team Titans um, was a personal favorite of mine when I was reading comics in the early 90s. Uh, getting into the series wasn't hard for me because it was a spinoff of the new Titans. That was my favorite book at the time. Team Titans number six came out a few months before the new Titans would hit issue number 100. And that particular book would really take a turn for the worse, even if I still have some fond memories of it. Marv Wolfman would write Team Titans until about issue 12, and then Jeff Jensen and Phil Jimenez would take over. And honestly, they would do some very interesting stuff. And I've always been curious as to what would have happened if DC hadn't canceled the book, because Jensen and Jimenez had some long-term plans that got condensed and also cut short. Overall, the problem with the book was that it was an X-Force, which is what DC essentially had wanted, or at least was trying to compete with. 
And really, if you look what was out at the same time as Team Titans number six, you've got uh, the finishing chapters of Funeral for a Friend over in Superman. Amazing Spider-Man was hitting 375. Um, Avengers hit 360. There was a holographic foil cover or something. I don't know. Batman was gearing up for Nightfall. Star Wars was starting to make its way into um, into Dark Horse. Death, the high cost of living number one came out, which means that Vertigo had just launched. The Flash was in the middle of the, or nearing the end of the Return of Barry Allen storyline. Wow, G.I. Joe was still coming out. Um... I'm getting all this off of Mike's Amazing World, by the way. And you have Thor hitting issue 460, which looked pretty interesting. And Punisher making guest appearances in various assorted uh, things. Pit number one came out. Uh, Robin 3 was wrapping up. That means that Robin's uh, ongoing series was starting. Um, ooh, the Harvey Saved by the Bell comic was out okay that's not really some sort of huge seller uh, spawn number seven was out so that was about to get into its guest writing things uh and you had um the x-men still going strong that was gearing up uncanny was was approaching number 300 wolverine was still going strong x-men was you know uh x-men number 18 x-force number 20 so you were at the kind of the right after the executioner's song so there were a lot of different uh, different big, big things that were out. Image had kind of not... Well, no, Image had not really gotten its act together when it came to um, getting its shipping out on time yet. But Image Valiant... So it was, we were clearly entrenched in the 90s here. And um, a more character-driven book like the Team Titans that was tied into the Titans continuity was never going to make it. And the book was pretty flawed anyway. And had it been on the level of, say, like James Robinson's Starman, this would have actually been an early game changer for DC. But it's it's not terrible, but it's a bit too, it's a bit too to the point, especially with the well, family is where you find it point that's made at the end. Granted, the story's premise makes sense. I mean, here are a group of teenagers from the future, and after what they have been through, they would definitely want to take the time to see themselves and their families in the past. And I guess this seeds the idea that they're from an alternate timeline and never knew it. And you know, had the multiverse existed, it would have been, we're from another Earth and we didn't know it. That would have been an interesting story for a multiverse-based DC. But the only really interesting parts here really are Mirage and Terra. Night Rider's story is fine. It's like a couple of pages, and he just gets to prevent the accident that leads to the monster that he feels he's become. Kilowatt, I guess that's okay. It's supposed to be this sort of, he's this Archie Andrews type, and it's discovered the world is a lot different because like all of his memories seem to be this sort of corny 50s scenario. Battalion, I never really cared for as a character anyway. And this whole Essie story thing with him, um, it goes on for way too long over the next few issues. I mean, truth be told, Mirage's backstory is like the most interesting. And it's mysterious. There's an added layer of some sort of trouble or darkness. And that's not that's not what makes it better. It's just the fact that she's more complicated than the others. And there's something else um, that makes it more interesting. 
the only problem I have is that it seems just it's wrapped up too quickly. Uh, Phantasm is this guardian angel. Granted, she gets there's other things that happen to her down the line, but like I said, everything's kind of they put a bow on everything with with Phantasm being there because it's kind of the same thing with the terror portion. I honestly don't see why Phantasm had to be involved in that. You could have just had this groundskeeper. I mean, up until that Titans hunt, Terror was the only dead Titan. Everything maybe except for Don Hall. But, like, the events of the Judas Contract were serious enough for Titans to reflect on them and constantly reflect on them. And I realize that Changeling got closure in Tales of the Teen Titans number 55 when he sat down with Deathstroke in the diner and had coffee. But it totally makes sense that on some level he still hurts when it comes to Terra Markov. So you could just have a groundskeeper talk about that a little bit and not have Phantasm fly out at the end, like again, like a guardian angel or something. Because that Terra scene's actually really well written. She's angry. Her past was taken away from her. She was made into a person who she doesn't know. She was, she's basically had herself erased and then written over with Terra. And she's upset in the same way that Mary is because her past wasn't great or her past in this case was unknown prior to the time with Lord Chaos. I'm probably being overly critical of the story I, uh, and especially since I always liked this book and I like this issue despite its obvious flaws. And the issue sounds, this sounds stupid to say because you don't judge a book by its cover but the cover is kind of the best part. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's Phil Jimenez, it's Tara standing at the grave of Tara. It's haunting, it's moody, it's just the right way. And I really, really wish the story inside would have fully lived up to that. But it's not terrible. And I've always had a soft spot in my heart for it because of the fun I got out of reading this book back when it was coming out. And that's it for this brief look at DC Comics Christmas publications. I'd like to thank Brett, I'd like to thank Stella, and I'd like to thank Mike. And I invite all of you to come back in January. I've got three episodes left in this mini-series. I thought I'd get them all in in 2015, but just things didn't work out the right way. There is There are war comics to cover, there are western comics to cover, and then there is one last thing to cover. Uh, and I'll have some special guests along the way for me as soon as I get all those ducks in a row. So until then, thank you for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to 80 Years of DC Comics, a podcast miniseries presented by Pop Culture Affidavit and Two True Freaks. All comics talked about in this episode are copyright DC Comics. And since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and no money is made, no infringement is intended. You can find show notes and supplemental information on this episode at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Interested in leaving feedback? You can email me at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. Thanks for listening and come back next month for another look at the history of DC Comics. Oh,